Welcome to the Five Elements Podcast. My name is Dylan, and with me today is Samantha, because she's always with me. Hey. <laughs> How you feeling today? So good. How are you? I guess this is audio, so no one can tell that was sarcastic. Ah, <laughs> uh, they can probably tell by my tonality. That's fair. Now I'm feeling good. Slept till 6.30 this morning, so... And what a sleep in it was. That's, that's a big sleep in for me. So I'm like fully recovered. It's a Saturday morning for the record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's my life now. So today we're going to do our Q&A. Um, so thank you for everyone who participated. Uh, we run these on our Instagram stories sometimes and even on Facebook. And just to collect questions so we can answer more in long form on the podcast episode. Um, but one announcement first is you would have known this on the email list. We're going to be starting a Facebook community group for Five Elements Coaching. Yes, we are, which we're very excited about because especially over the past few years, like the need for community has become abundantly apparent. Dylan and I are quite fortunate in that we have each other and we live the same lifestyle, but there are many people who feel incredibly alone in their solo endeavor. So we just wanted to find a way to sort of bridge that gap and hold space for people to connect and share their wins or their struggles. So yeah, so we're going to do that. It's going to be free. Um, when we start it, we'll share it everywhere, put links in our episodes or and also in our email list and everything. Yeah, going to use it as a place to share our content, talk about it more, ask questions. Everyone is going to be entitled to and do live. Yeah, we'll do some lives. Um, we want to get really engaged and help foster more of a community sense. Um, kind of if you agree with our messaging and it resonates with you, it'll be a good space for you to feel welcomed and ask questions and maybe meet people with similar experiences to yourself. Definitely. As we both for sure have through social media. Secondly, here comes the shill. Once again, <laughs> if you want to support the show, um, as we mentioned last time, we are now affiliated with Macro Factor, which we both personally use. It is the tracking app that we both like. You can get a two week free trial if you use five elements as your promo code when you sign up and you can go check out everything that that app has to offer. We have a link in the show notes that you can just kind of click there. So we'll make that brief today. As always, we do offer online coaching. So if you're looking to receive help with your training, learning how to lift um, with nutrition guidance and just overall support and coaching, we are offering that right now. And we'll put the link in the show notes as well. And then as always, leave a review, share this podcast that will help us tremendously in getting more reach and helping more people with this uh, free content. Definitely. Ready to get to today's roses and thorns. I suppose. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was a lot. That was heavier than I thought it was going to go, but whatever. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? Always you. Always <sighs> you. Forever you. Okay. So I'm going to start with my rose, and this is a weird turn, but if you follow me on Instagram or if you're a part of the, the newsletter or read my articles, like they're very research-based, and reading research has been a skill that I've been practicing for over a year now. Sam has heard about it at nauseum, mm -hmm. and a big part of that is actually understanding statistical analysis. The first time I read a paper, I was like, this is a different fucking language. Science never seemed less accessible to me than when I actually got access to full journal papers. I was like, I don't know what any of this shit has. But I've been reviewing them and practicing the skill of statistical analysis, reading them, interpreting them, applying them, and then giving all you folks the applications the best way I can to improve mm -hmm. your fitness journeys. And that's part of like the tagline evidence-based fitness with empathy-based coaching. Mm -hmm. So I read a paper this week that I'm going to be covering next week. And I got the statistical analysis component down pat. Mm -hmm. And I even showed Sam and I was like, this looks like gibberish. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's nothing. really, that's nothing to me. And I was like, <laughs> I kind of, I actually know what all of this means now. And without having to Google it, it made a ton of sense to me. And I was like, wow, this is huge. And if I 
juxtapose that to a year ago when I didn't even know what a p-value was. I'm like feeling really proud of myself and not because I can, that's not about just being able to do it. It's like the amount of work I put in to do this as someone who didn't actually go to university and feeling really proud of myself. And this is a reflection of all the hard work I put into that. And that felt awesome. And I'm really proud of myself for that. And that's my rose. Thank you. It's a big rose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My thorn. Going to go down the heavy path once again. So (laughs) if you remember last week, I shared for Black History Month um, a YouTuber named FD Signifier. Oh, yeah. And he did a YouTube video this week, uh, like it was for Valentine's Day. He entitled it Black Love is Dead. And he talked about like he interviewed a lot of like um, couples and like their struggles. And what he meant by that is like couple goals is dead. Like Mm -hmm. the what you promote to the world in terms of your partnership where it's like, mm-hmm. we never fight, we're perfect, hashtag couple goals. Mm-hmm. He actually used the example of like Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith, yeah. how like they legit were couple goals, but we saw the reality of what a long-term partnership can look like yeah. in its most raw state in that in whole entanglement discussion, right? Cause we're like, yo, their goals, that would never happen. And then like, mm-hmm. we see what happens. And they're just humans like the rest of us. We think of relationships as like what we see in the movies where it's perfect, where it's mm-hmm. all romance all the time. Like a fairy tale. A hundred percent. And part of that is for each person maybe has an internalized idea of what their gender role is. So as as a man, I'm like, I need to provide, I need to make money, I need to do all of these things to earn love. Yeah. And I'm always feeling like I got to earn my love and that if I just work hard enough, and there was a couple in this video that Mm -hmm. they actually work together and he was the the man was so stereotypical. The man was saying to the woman, like, you know what, if I was just making more money every year, if I saw these sheets increasing that you would love me. And she looked at him and she said, like, you you wanted my approval. And he's like, and it was very vulnerable. He's like, yeah, I really did. And it's like, I do that same thing. So I've like internalized that to I'm I'm only worthy of love if I perform at a certain level, if I make enough money, if I can provide. And that's kind of like my own internalized patriarchal framework that now I operate within. And I'm trying to bring that down because I want to realize that I'm just, I I can receive love for existing. Like I don't have to earn love. It's not contingent on providing on all of these performing. things or performing that society has told a lot of boys that that's how you get love like yeah. don't cry make money be an alpha man like all that bullshit and i don't believe that logically but it came to my realization that i've internalized that and it shapes a lot of my driving forces and it's a thorn because it's brought me so much pain mm-hmm. and all of that and i, I want to bring it down which is a rosy thorn but it's a lot of work ahead of me so that is my my thorn that's a lot yeah that's a lot <laughs> that's a lot yeah. Um, we don't know how to go light, hey? No, I we're coming out swinging today. Shit. <laughs> shit. Shit, 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 shit. Okay. What about you? Okay, Rose. I have been writing more consistently and not for the purpose of sharing it on social media and not for the purpose of performing or doing it for anyone other than me. So I've just been writing like benign stories and memories from my childhood and like expressing myself very genuinely in a way that I haven't in a long time because it didn't feel productive. It didn't feel like it had purpose. Yeah. I was like, what am I going to do? Write a memoir? I never want to release a memoir. True. But being able to really like vulnerably put my thoughts on pen to paper has been like an explorative journey of my subconscious, of my childhood, and conversely of myself. Like the things that you can learn about yourself through writing are phenomenal. There is something magic about translating like 
all of the chaos in your mind and to tangible reality. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's been huge for me. Your writing is amazing too. Thank you. Whenever you write something to me, I'm like, I don't know what it is. It's your, the words you pick, you just paint like a really vivid, vivid image. I don't know. I don't know how I do it. It's probably like you were at what, a lit minor or a lit major for a period Technically, of time? Technically, yeah. But I think what I figured out is that when I was a kid, I observed a lot and oh. I didn't communicate the things like my the vast majority of my childhood was me with a book or me with my mind yeah so i observed so much chaos around me and i had no one to really talk to about any of it so i just started writing and it's something that i did as a kid and then somewhere along the way like especially when you pursue writing as like part of your education it becomes performative. You do yeah. it for a mark. And every time you get a paperback, it's just like covered in red scribbles of all the things that you did wrong or could have done better. And it really like sucked the joy out of it for me. It stopped being creative expression and it started becoming like my value and my worth. Yeah. Um. So it's really beautiful as an adult to sort of like go back to something that brought me so much intense joy as a child. Um, and do it for me again. And I think, I don't know, maybe you're not a writer, but maybe there's something you used to do as a kid that really brought you back to yourself. Yeah. And as an adult, it's hard to come back to it because there's so much pressure to perform again. But the point wasn't to perform. The point was to like lose yourself in it. Absolutely. So that's been very fulfilling recently. Um, a thorn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> uh, sometimes I feel unequipped to be an adult. And I know that that sounds totally crazy. That's not crazy at all. But the more open I become with this conversation, the more I hear from other people, like even my mom's age, so in their 70s, some of them will say things like, I still feel like a kid. Yeah. I still don't fully feel like I'm an adult now. And I think that we all have this very skewed view of adulthood and what that looks like. Like you should just have everything all figured out all the time and you should be hyper responsible. Um, and yeah, you do want to have things figured out and you do want to be responsible. But becoming an adult does not make you some like omnipresent being who just knows all, sees all and does all seamlessly, effortlessly yeah. without issue. And I think that my idea of what I would look like as an adult was kind of that. And as I approach 30, it feels messy. And I keep getting the advice from other people like, you're not supposed to have it all figured out. You're not supposed to know everything. You're not supposed to totally feel like this year you received your big girl pants and now you're officially an adult. Like, yeah. that's not the way it works. No. We're all just learning as we go and doing the best we can. So... My thorn is that my expectations of myself, as high as I thought they were, they're somehow higher. <laughs> and I need to learn how to manage them better. Yeah. No, it's hard. It's really fucking hard to reel in your expectations. Yeah. I actually heard something that I really love this week. And it was how, like, we often think about, like, the one who got away, like, the love that we never could, like, really hold and wrap our hands around. And it was reframed as, like, you will always be the love and, like, the one who got away. Loving yeah. yourself will be the one who got away. And in the journey of, like, finding 
a way to fully and completely embrace who I am. Managing my expectations is a big part of that. Yeah. So that I'm not the one who got away. Yeah. Heavy. We don't go light. <laughs> we just don't go light. No, you're. I, sure. I, uh, that one resonated with me for sure. Yeah. Uh, We're all way too hard on ourselves, man, which I, I can see in every question on this <laughs> Q&A. Like, yeah, true, true. Um, all of your questions are lovely and they're wonderful. But yeah, like we are intensely hard on ourselves, truly. Yeah. Um, and you can see it because the number of questions that we get and the types of questions that we get are always kind of like in line of like, I feel like what I'm doing isn't good enough. Yeah. How can I do it better? Which is a good thing. But somewhere in all of the striving to be the best, we forget to appreciate where we're at. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And let's rip it off. Let's do the Q&As. <laughs> so I'm going to let you take the first one mostly. And I think because you're probably more equipped to uh, answer it just out of historical experience. And I'm like super privileged in this position. <laughs> um, so question one, how to get over fears and nerves when going to the gym as a newbie? Oh, my God. Okay. You're not far removed from doing this. Like, no, I'm not. Like I can so uniquely remember um, going into the gym and doing the exact same workout every single day for like a year. Yeah. Like every day with the same dumbbells, the same everything because I was too afraid to do something different and look stupid. The first thing I'll say, and this is going to come across as like a little judgy, so forgive me. You know how when you walk into a gym, you notice very quickly that like pretty much every wall that can have a mirror on it has a mirror on it? Most people are looking at themselves. That's the truth. Most people are going there to watch themselves and focus on them. And that was something that I couldn't understand as a beginner to the gym, I couldn't fathom. I was like, everybody's just going to turn around, look at me and be like, wow, she's so stupid. Most people are so self-focused, they're not even going to notice you. And that's beautiful. That's not a bad thing. That's awesome. We love that. I will say depend like different gyms have different cultures and it might be worth when starting out at a new gym, finding one that feels good to you, going at different times in the day are also going to like come with different sort of energies. So like the 6 a.m. crowd, pretty driven. They're there before the workday. <laughs> they want to get in and get out. Um, it's usually um, an older population, I find, versus the 5, 6 p.m. is wow, a, a zoo It's a zoo. It's yeah. a full three-ring circus. I definitely, definitely would not recommend if you are a beginner – Trying to get comfortable at the 5 to 6 p.m. mark. Noon's a good time. Mid-morning's a good time. And I know that most people can't swing that. But even if you can swing an early morning, that might be more advantageous. Yeah. I find I've always found that 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 crowd's a little more um, encouraging too. Yeah. um, Than say the 7. And not that the evening crowd is always like judgmental. They're just intense a lot of time. They're intense. Depending on the gym you go to. Yeah. It's a lot. And if that's something you're sensitive to, that can be a deterrent from the gym. So to Sam's point, you got to find a gym that you're just genuinely comfortable at. Yeah. Or even a gym partner. If there's a gym where one of your friends goes to, going with them can make it just so much easier. Yes. That's huge. And then generally, I just did this with someone. What did I say? Oh, my God. Rules about barbells, maybe. Should we rip through that real quickly? Sure. I don't know. Like a barbell is going to weigh 45 pounds most often. And 
let's say you were loading a barbell and you put 10 pounds on one side, you want to put 10 pounds on the other, you want to keep things nice and even. And when unloading a barbell, let's say you got real brave and you decided to put more than 45 pounds on either side of the barbell, um, you want to unload it evenly because if you have like 80 pounds on one side and you take off the matching 80 on the other, the barbell can actually flip. And that's like one of the scariest gym moments in anybody's life. Has that happened to you? Never. Okay, so it only ever happened to me once. Oh, God. But I had, th- I had three plates aside and I took three off on one side oh. and the other. I've taken, I've left two plates on one and it's still fine, the counterbalance of it. So for most people, that won't be a problem, but it's probably good general maintenance to just take it off. It's just balance. a good practice. Like, yeah. be safe. It's a scary little moment. Yeah. And then plates typically come in 510s, 25s, 35s, 45s. Yeah. And just load the bar evenly. If you are feeling like you're not ready to go straight to a barbell, the Smith machine's kind of a nice teaching tool. Yeah. Would not recommend it for deadlifts and squats. But to get comfortable, it Probably might be- better for squats than deadlifts, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. Depending on your setup, of yeah. course. But yeah, it is a nice teaching tool because a Smith machine, it's going to be like a barbell that's actually locked in on either side. So it's going to be lighter, firstly, and it's going to be far more stable. So that's actually a really nice teaching tool. Going in with a plan is everything. Like you want to go into the gym and you want to know exactly what you're doing. So going in with a program is essential. And I would actually say review your program, go to YouTube, see how people use machines. Like if you have... Well, we have a full exercise library. We do. In the show notes too with a bunch of like easy Yeah. So like even let's say you have in your program a hamstring curl and you're like, shit, I have no idea how to do that. Go watch a video on YouTube. Just the more prepared you go into the situation, the better you'll feel and the less anxiety you'll probably have. The last thing I'd probably say is patience and a lot of kindness to yourself because it's a huge adjustment. Yeah. It can be super intimidating, but go in there like a horse with blinders. Don't focus on anyone else in the gym, but you and what you're doing. Put on a great playlist and get lost in your workout. Yeah. Yeah. To Sam's point, don't be afraid to like make mistakes or yeah. because like there's sometimes we get so caught up in that. For Sam's example, she did the same workout for a year. And, you know, the strength conditioning coach me might be like, that's not very efficient. But the human in me is like, hey, you went to the gym for a year. The habit of going to the gym is locked down now. So even if you're not doing, quote unquote, the most optimal shit, the main goal is getting to the gym consistently. And then once you're really comfortable, you can start making it more complicated and getting more intense with it. But if your biggest obstacle Mm -hmm. is getting there, whatever makes you feel comfortable to do so, even if the first six times you just go on the treadmill. A hundred percent. Just do something to get habituated to going to the gym and feeling more comfortable and safe there. And I can't believe I haven't said this yet, but working with a coach or a trainer might be incredibly helpful. Like somebody who can be there with you in person just to teach you the foundations and how to do things efficiently. If you are going to do that, I would communicate from the get-go what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So if you're not looking for a long-term coach, like, oh, I want to just train with someone indefinitely. Mm-hmm. You're like, I want to just do three to six sessions. Tell them, hey, I just want to know how to use this, these equipments, how to adjust my programs. Just ask to be taught more, and then you have to be opening to actually learning. Yes. That can be very beneficial. Definitely. Okay. Second question. So what's the difference between a hypertrophy block and a strength block? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a great question. Um, Hypertrophy and strength are like 
So for anyone who don't know the terminology, hypertrophy is just gaining muscle, growing mm-hmm. muscle tissue. Strength is just like increased force output, lifting more weight, etc. There's a good meme I saw where it's like, they're in a relationship, but it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like they overlap. But yeah. But they're not, they're they, not the they same have thing. some independent variances, but they overlap too. It's a complicated topic. But if you're going to focus on more on specific strength, you would probably spend more time and more of your focus with your really low rep, high intensity work. Yes. Now with that, you can still gain muscle. If you're doing heavy singles, you're probably not going to gain any noticeable muscle or very minimal Mm -hmm. amounts of it. It'll be your accessory work. So like the work you do after that will help with it. What were we going to say? It would probably be valuable to explain that gaining muscle and gaining strength are not technically the same, but are. No, yeah, they they are. Yeah, you can gain. Like neurologically, you can gain strength. Yeah, so. Without muscle tissue. Do you want me to go into that? Just lightly. Okay. So, yeah, you can gain a lot of strength without gaining a ton of muscle. Yeah. One, there's a couple reasons for that. One of the easiest ones is like skill acquisition. Yeah. So, like, squatting isn't only a strength exercise, it's also a skill and coordination exercise. So, yes. as you do it more, you're, you'll develop neurological levels of strength where it's like you can exert more force in the bar, it's more yep. efficient, all those things. That doesn't always elicit hypertrophy or yes. building muscle. But if you have a bigger muscle, it'll have a higher potential for producing force. Yes. If that makes sense. So, you can get it really strong without putting on a ton of muscle just yeah. by getting more skilled, having a higher economy of movement, mm-hmm. all of those things. And your muscles practicing like re- recruiting the most amount of motor ner- motor units. Yeah. But at a certain point, you're going to have to build muscle to get more strength. Yes. If that makes sense. Personally, I don't go for a strict hypertrophy block and then a strict strength block. I kind of like to hybridize the two um, as I find that it's more mentally engaging for me yeah. and for a lot of my clients. Like we like to do a little bit of skill work, a little bit of like strength and then a little bit of hypertrophy. It's like the best of both. I find that working on a skill and developing a skill is far more fulfilling than just only going to the gym for the outcome of building more muscle. Yeah, for sure. So the, the I think the easiest way I'd say like to break down these two blocks is like if you're doing a pure hypertrophy block, mm-hmm. there's probably some exercises you wouldn't do. Yes. And there's probably some rep schemes you wouldn't do. So if you're like, I'm just trying to get jacked as hell. I don't care about strength. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have you deadlift because yeah. deadlift is a good exercise, but it's not the best uh, muscle building exercise. Same with a pull up. Yeah. Same with a squat. Squat. I would still probably put squats in, but I would adjust other things. Like mm. I wouldn't do like a low bar squat. I'd probably no. do more of like a high bar squat trying to get deeper. Um, that's what I would kind of do there. But again, I wouldn't be doing like sets of three. No. Right. It would be like in the six to 12 range for a lot of the work. Um, but to Sam's point, a lot of people like a blend of both. Yeah. And unless you're a competitive athlete, there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you're a strength athlete, you need strength periods. Absolutely. Um, or if you're a bodybuilder, you need bodybuilding periods. Absolutely. But if you're just a general fitness person, you're like, you know what? I want to lift heavy, but I also want to get strong. You can blend the two together. Mm-hmm. Um, but simply, you'll probably start with your heavier work first. Yes. So you'll do like the first exercise will be like sets of three deadlifts. And then you might do some hypertrophy stuff after. Yeah, definitely. And keep that simple there. Yeah. Okay, next one is, I'm not as regular in a calorie deficit. Why is that? And is there anything that I can do about it? Haha, so many reasons. And I love talking about digestion because it's just so fun and complicated and everybody thinks that their digestion is the slowest of all time. 
basically, when you are in a calorie deficit, you are likely going to be intaking less food than if you were at your maintenance, right? So just by way of intaking less food and having less food travel through your GI on a daily basis, part of the way that, um, so in order to have a bowel movement, your body is going to receive a signal called peristalsis that tells your body, hey, it's time to go. And that's when you go and eliminate. Cool. I was going to say the term that I use with Frankie. What? Baking butt cookies. Oh, my God. Like, that's so... He looks at our dog and he goes, are you baking butt cookies? <laughs> no, but no. it sounds like you're baking butt cookies. Uh, it's so ridiculous. You love it, though. I hate it. So, yeah. So, peristalsis. Cool. Equals baking butt cookies. Oh, my God. So, in order... One of the things that triggers the sensation of peristalsis, so the feeling of needing to go to the bathroom is the food that you ingest is actually going to like create kind of a traffic jam and help to push um, the food further down your GI to signal that response to say, okay, we need to go to the bathroom now because we're literally full. The problem is when you're on a diet, you're literally intaking less food. So there's less food going through your GI. So the likelihood of having that same signaling is slim to none, yeah. which causes sort of that feeling of I'm just not as regular because, of course, your body is going to have to adapt to the uh, decrease in food. In bulk. And like, yeah, bulk. Yeah. And fiber often. Yeah, yeah. So part of this is um, also down to a fiber situation, which is why when you go into a calorie deficit, you do want to look at how much fiber you're intaking in a day. And this is not to say that we want you to eat an extraordinary amount of fiber in a day because there's a problem with too little, but there's also a problem with too much. Yeah, totally. You don't want to eat too much fiber. For some people, it can lead to diarrhea. For some people, it will lead to extreme constipation. And um, bloating. And really intense bloating. Like I'm actually, I, I was vegan for a long time, so... I just by nature of like the foods that I was choosing, I was eating way too much fiber. Yeah. Um, and when I worked with a doctor, he had me decrease the amount of fiber I was eating. And that's when I stopped being like bloated to the point that I felt six months pregnant, but with like a concrete baby in my belly. Yeah. It was horrible. I was constipated all the time. So do not eat too much, but also you don't want to eat too little. There's kind of a sweet spot. And I believe you have the recommendation, yes? Yeah, I was I was reading through some of the literature and some of the recommendations with among like nutritionists. Yeah, because people always blanket say like 25 grams a day, but like I'm half your size. Yeah. So to say like, you know, the average should be 25 a day is crazy when you look at like I'm half of your body weight. Yeah. So that's one thing to be aware of when someone says you need X amount of grams per day. Human bodies are different. We have different st we have different amounts of storage, et cetera, et cetera. That's why you usually, we usually go based off um, how many how much you weigh. Yeah. But in fiber intakes, uh, looking through the literature, very commonly it is per 1,000 calories. Yeah. So, and that's the reason for that is because you're eating a lot more food, so you're yes. eating more fiber to actually help that food pass through. The process through. of elimination. Exactly. Yeah. So it was basically around 14 grams per 1,000 calories. So eating a 22, if you're eating a 2,000 calorie diet, probably start around 28 grams. Yeah. But again, these are always based off averages and you want to mm -hmm. play around with it. So if you find you're at 28 and you're like, that's, 
I'm still not feeling it. Maybe yeah. you can up it a little bit or maybe you're more sensitive to it. But that's kind of where I'd start if mm-hmm. you have no idea. And just remind yourself, like it, there's a there's a budget issue when mm-hmm. talking about the calorie deficit because now you're eating less calories. So you can have you can you can have less fiber, right? Yeah. You probably will, but you want to make sure that you're getting in getting in enough fiber because again, when you're eating lower calories, your body also might be trying to be more efficient with yeah. said calories. So it's actually trying to extract more nutrients out of it, and that can make it a harder stool. Yeah. So increasing fiber can help that even more a little bit, like not too much. So making sure you're getting that fiber intake while you're in a calorie deficit can be very useful for that too. And I would start with that range. And again, this is like the power of trial and error, right? Because I had to go through the very painful process of figuring out where I sat on that equation, um, how much fiber I could eat in a day without getting to the point that I was feeling really ill or to the other end of the spectrum, feeling like I wasn't going to the bathroom at all. And funny enough, I actually have a client who over the past week had this experience because she decided that she wanted to sort of like not necessarily drop her calories. She wants to diet, but she wants to do it more intuitively. So her way of doing that was by increasing the amount of veggies and fruit and therefore fiber she was consuming. And she messaged me asking me about this because she was like, Sam, I am so uncomfortably bloated. Like, I don't know what's going on. I think it might be the fiber. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the fiber. Yeah. Tone it down. Yeah. And then she could find the sweet spot. And that's what we want for you. We want you to find your sweet spot so that you can stay regular. And that being said, while you're in a calorie deficit, please do know that like your digestion just isn't going to be the same as when you're at maintenance. Like this is kind of, there are ways to manage it better, but there is some level of irregularity that is pretty common within being on a diet. So expect it. It's frustrating. There are little, there are like some fiber boosting supplements that you can take, things like that. But for the most part, just eat your fruits and veggies. Yeah. That's that's your biggest, biggest bet. And then don't go too extreme in a calorie deficit. Yeah. The more extreme you go, the more irregular you will be. Oh my God. For sure. Okay. So why do I keep sa- last question? Um, why do I keep self-sabotaging regarding and regaining back all the weight I lose? Hmm. There could be so many reasons. Where do we begin? So I did write a full article on this based off of like some science, um, some studies where they assess people who lost a significant amount of weight and kept it off. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of things that go into maintaining it. But one of the like the low hanging fruit that I commonly see with this mm-hmm. is was the strategy you used to lose said weight sustainable, mm-hmm. and did you in along the journey fall in love with the process to any degree? So if you have an unsustainable process that you don't enjoy to achieve an outcome, you're setting yourself up for that rebound. Because yeah. I, as I actually write in the article, in the article I put on the website, is like there is three. There's like three kind of overlapping factors here right mm-hmm. there's there's biology right mm-hmm. like when you lose weight your fasting ghrelin tends to go up which is like a hunger hormone yeah your energy expenditure tends to drop a little bit your food focus tends to increase there's all these things that are driving you to actually gain that weight back yeah doesn't make it futile it just makes it an extra hurdle then there's your psychological component you know if you've been restricting intensely you might be more food focused you might be thinking about oh when i'm done this diet oh i'm thinking about all the shit i'm gonna enjoy right i'm gonna eat all of the things 
And then there's your sociology, which mm-hmm. is like your social networks. If you avoided all of that stuff to reach a goal, and then you're just going to integrate the old social life you had before that you mm-hmm. avoided during the diet and go right back into it, that can be a problem. So you want to make sure that your your uh, continued efforts after the diet are all in line to keeping those factors under control and not shooting you back to regaining all the weight. And I mean, the question begs more questions, right? Because I'm curious as to what the driving force behind the self-sabotage actually is. If this person could pinpoint it, if we could, you know, nail it down to her practice, that would be great. Yeah. Sometimes self-sabotage is a deeply psychological thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's not the practice and the environment. Sometimes it is um, more of a psychological issue where sometimes we just feel comfortable repeating similar patterns over and over again. And the problem that I see sometimes is that, you know, we put a lot of value in like the weight loss basket in achieving that goal and in being thin. And when we have so many other problems in our lives, but we fixate on our bodies and taking all of the issues in the other areas out on our bodies, sometimes when you actually get down to that weight of your dreams, you realize that you don't have the focus to like put into it anymore. Like it's kind of like- You're not getting that same reward for maintenance. No, and it's not- it's not like I can ignore all the other things in favor of I just have to lose weight anymore. Yeah. Now I can actually focus on the other things. And I don't want to focus on the other things. I would rather focus on this thing. So I would kind of rather create the problem all over again. Oh, I um, that. Yeah. So some people do that. Sometimes it's an identity sort yeah. of crisis because you can lose all that weight and actually self-sabotage the version of you that you're becoming because it feels like – Sometimes when we grow and change, it feels like we are leaving people we left behind or it feels like we're betraying other people in some way. So we fall back quickly into betraying ourselves. Yeah. So there's so much to unpack with that. And I think the first thing, like the moment you realize you're in a self-sabotage mode, it just begs a lot of questions. Start getting curious. Ask yourself like, how like why do i feel the need to revert back to old behaviors what is it providing me in this moment what is it bringing me why does it feel safer to be stuck in this uncomfortable prison of my own creation than to be outside of the prison door when i know the door's open yeah so it's a really complex topic and we all do it across the boards in our lives in a myriad of ways but it can be exceptionally frustrating to keep gaining and losing the exact same 10 pounds over and over again do your best to do some of that inner work and dig in to figure out like is the problem my process is the problem my lifestyle is the problem my expectations of what of what weight my body should be sitting at because sometimes that's a that's a problem sometimes we think like i should be 10 percent body fat and sure you can diet down to that size but the cost of maintaining it is just too much so uh, honestly i think the better parts of us will self-sabotage in that moment yeah to bring you back to some sort of regularity so what i was going to say there is like i was actually going to say something similar to what you just said yeah the, you're not self-sabotaging by gaining the weight back. Yes. You're actually self-sabotaging by losing the weight. And for this, for some people, like, yeah, they could 
they can reasonably lose a decent amount of weight and keep it off. Yeah. But for some people, we may have very unrealistic expectations about what we're willing to actually do, right? Yeah. So losing that last 10 pounds is there definitely possible and there's evidence that you've done it. Mm-hmm. But it's like maintaining that after you lose it might just not be realistic. And you kind of know that. You're like, listen, to maintain that, I got to continue working out really hard. I got to get like 10,000 steps in per day. I got to kind of track all my food all the time. I don't want to do that. If you don't want to do that, then you have your data right there. Like I probably, maybe I don't need to lose that 10 pounds and you'll be, it's not really a health concern at that point, right? Like carrying, housing the extra 10 pounds is not a death sentence. If you're eating a high, high nutritious diet and you're loving yourself and you're exercising and you're doing all the other things, like sometimes we're so weight centric in our approaches for health that we forget that it's not just about weight. Weight is one measurement we can use. Yeah. Um, uh, to use Sam's word around a myriad of other things that we can actually mm-hmm. assess to our overall health. And I've done this. Like I sabotaged myself in many ways across the course of my life. But one of the more significant was in wanting to be a very, very small size. And I sabotaged myself because it cost me my health. My goal was when I first started on my health and fitness journey to be a healthier person in the way that that looked for me. Yeah. And somewhere along the way, I realized it was more important for me to be skinny. So I actually kind of eschewed what would make me healthy in favor of what would keep me thin. Yeah. And thinner and thinner and thinner. Um, So in some ways, I actually was self-sabotaging because in order to be that thin, it was costing me my health. Like once you lose your period... It's costing you your health. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, between Sam and I here, we're actually re- we're representative of two completely different camps. sides of the equation. Yeah. So Sam lost, what was it fifty pounds again? Yeah. So thirty three percent of her body weight at the time. Yeah. Which is when I the article that I referenced, the only way you could get into it was by losing only ten percent and keeping it off. So this is a remarkable amount that she lost and kept off. And we've talked about this a lot before mm-hmm. her identity completely changed to do so yeah and she maintained a lot of those practices even to this day yeah she still tracks her food she doesn't really drink she eats a yeah. lot of vegetables per day she gets like twelve thousand steps and she exercises right yeah. and she maintains a pretty lean body weight as i've shared i did a cut like a year and a half ago yeah and everything i did to get down there i don't really do and i stopped doing when the diet ended yeah and to no surprise i gained the weight back but the things that i did keep yeah. I still train my ass off. So when I gained the weight back, it wasn't all fat. And I look, I think aesthetically I look better at mm-hmm. this body, at this weight than I used to because I'm way more muscular. My Definitely. steps are still high and I eat a lot of protein. But like calorie wise, like I'm an asshole. Like I still <laughs> eat whatever the hell I want. And yeah, the do. reality of that is that I'm just not lean anymore. And I've had to make amends with that. I struggle with obesity as a kid. And sometimes when you gain a lot of fat, fat cells can adapt to that and they don't really yes. like to go back down to a shrunken state. And that can yes. be something that, not to say you can't get back down there, but it might be harder for you than it is for someone who never gained that fat in the first place. 100%. And it's interesting that you mentioned fat cells because I actually remember, like, a lot of women have cellulite. It's just a in- phenomenal number of women have cellulite. It's so normal. It's so common. But it was like, the bane of my existence when I was overweight. One of the markers of my success in weight loss was seeing my cellulite go away a little bit at a time. Did it go away? What do you think it cost me to make my cellulite go away? Your menstrual cycle? Yes. It was the thinnest I have ever, like the sickest 
yeah. I have ever been in my life. Yeah. The thinnest. Oh my God. It was horrible. I looked, I had to get down to like a skeletal frame in order for my cellulite to go away. Yeah. And the moment I started gaining weight back, those fat cells were just like sponges waiting to absorb it again. Yeah. It's interesting because women are always like, I just want to diet down to get rid of my cellulite. And they don't often realize like the fat cell equation and the fact that like they've been there for so long that they kind of just fill back up very quickly. Yeah. The margin for, yeah, um, we're talking kind of about something called like saddling points, which are a very complex science that yes. we're not going to go too deep on and we're not no. really that qualified to, but within that there is like hormones secreted by your fat cells yeah. and they are very sensitive to changes within the size of that fat cell, kind of like a thermostat. If you lose weight and keep it off, if you get super lean, the margin mm -hmm. of error to gain it back is very small. So if you overeat at all, it might be very efficient in storing it back. Yeah. But you may notice that if you're maintaining at a weight and you're like, I'd have to be a total asshole to gain here. That's because you're kind of at like what people would say is a, is a happy, yes. like a medium place for your fat cells. We're like, yeah, we're good here. Like if we get extra calories, we're not going to as much prioritize all of it to storing mm -hmm. it as fat. But if you're severely underfed, right, your body's going to be more um, sucks it up. More likely to actually like shuttle it into fat cells, right? Yeah. And that's when people get really shredded for a competition, they gain back weight remarkably fast. Rapidly. Because they binge eat because that's what yeah, you do after of it. Course. But also your level, your efficiency of fast storage is really high yeah. because you're at that stupid low settling point. And that, that is, was me. that's a cost of getting lean. And the leaner you get, Ugh. just know that the margins for error probably get less and less. And the, the, yeah. the fatter you get, the, the, you can just kind of screw around, right? Yeah. To gain more weight from there is actually harder unless you starve yourself and gain it back repeatedly. Yeah. If people don't linearly gain weight, they usually gain weight over yo-yo cycling over decades yeah. because they starve themselves, gain it back really fast, starve themselves, gain it back really fast. I don't know anyone who's just been, uh, I've just been gaining a pound a week for, yeah. for two years. Like that's and really like, hard to do. And for the record, I still have cellulite. Like yeah. it's not, it's not something that goes away with a cream. Like it's, it's a much more complicated thing than that. It's normal. It's so normal. It just is. So are rolls. So yes. are like, so are like oh belly fat. My stretch marks. Yeah, I got stretchies too. I love them. I got big chest stretch marks. You do. Because I gained Mine like are... 30 pounds in grade three, which on my body was a huge amount yep. of weight. I mean, I think it was actually, mine came from puberty when I like my body literally changed um, because I have them all over my hips and yeah. my thighs. Um, and A I, lot of women have them there. Isn't and that I, really common? Yeah. And I hate them or I hated them at the time. And now I like them. They remind me of tiger stripes. Yeah. They're kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. I remember everyone was was so stoked on Kendrick Lamar when he dropped that hum that song Humble. Yeah. And he mentioned like show me something real like like a woman with some stretch marks. Yeah. And coming from hip hop at the time, like that's pretty awesome. He's always been one of my favorite guys. But yeah. yeah like that shit's the norm. It the is the norm. Yeah. It's not normal to see like plastic Barbie skin as somebody's yeah. skin. And I think another thing on this topic that's important like because I know a lot of our listeners are parents. Yeah. Um, they're a little bit older than us. They have more responsibilities. 
Sam and I are, we don't have, we just have our business and our pets and we still struggle to maintain all this shit. It's Honestly. not easy. So sometimes people will be like, man, why is it so hard? I'm like, it is hard. It's hard for me. Yeah. It's, and I'm a 27 year old dude with no You're kids. You're responsible for three children. Yeah. A home, a career. Yeah. Yourself. hundred percent. Yeah. It's a lot. So if you're struggling with it, that, that also just like stretch marks and cellulite is the norm. Mm -hmm. There is no one really not struggling with it. And if they are, they're usually like yeah. a 23 year old kid with no other responsibility and all their free time and free energy goes towards oh, their fitness. Actually, one last thing on self-sabotage. I learned this recently. It was kind of that often the way that self-sabotage manifests in our day-to-day -day lives is we convince ourselves that like we need to be like the good girl or the good boy and I need to do all the things that a good girl or a good boy would do today. So I need to show up. I need to be on time. I need to do this and that and go to a job and deal with this person and do this one task. And now I need to go like take care of my mother and go walk the dog. And you spend the whole day doing so many things for so many yes, other people I know exactly that by the time you finally get a minute to yourself, you just want to rebel against the system that held you captive all day, even True. if that system was you. So sometimes we self-sabotage because we just want to rebel against our own rigid rules. Yeah. No, that, yeah. I've seen that. I've had, I've seen that in my coaching I've, practice. I've lived it. And personally. The, when I do that is like after a whole day of being productive yep. and I'm getting into bed and I'm, I got eight hours prepared. I'm like, let's just watch TV till like, I'll fuck myself over tomorrow. I don't even care. A hundred percent. Like that is me straight up rebelling against my values. A lot of I, people do that. Yeah. That's super common. Cause I had no time for myself and I was like, I'll borrow time, but that debt oh. is not worth it in the long run. Or they'll, um, I hear this a lot. People will be like, Oh my God, I couldn't go to bed early last night because I just, I stayed up all night scrolling on Instagram and I didn't even care. And I don't know why I did that. And it's like, that's you rebelling yeah. against a system of rigid rules yeah. and you just wanted some time to yourself. Yeah. But sometimes the things that we do in those moments, you know, there's like this one small voice that's like, I want you to come back to yourself, but we do it by disconnecting further. Yeah. yeah. So if that's you and if your version of it is Netflix and, you know, binge watching and binge eating, under me too, baby. Yeah. I mean, just understand that that's part of this cycle and maybe part of breaking it is actually going to be like looking at your day to day life and seeing where you can make more room for you in it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's complicated. Thank you to everyone who asked those questions. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we got links for everything in the show notes. As always, if you want to support the show, um, you can sign up for Macro Factor using our affiliate code 5ELEMENTS. Mm -hmm. You can sign up for coaching or apply for it. We're taking on new clients and we'd love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Or you can share this podcast with your friends, help us spread this um, podcast that we're doing to help more people and leave a review. As always, have a good week and we will talk to you next time. We appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Cheers. Ta. Thank you.